Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Racing Debate. I'm afraid it's just me again, but I think we have a cracking show ahead. We will be talking to William Haggis, the trainer of the world's greatest racehorse, Baid, and a real thinking man when it comes to the world of horse racing. Boy, do we need thinking men at the moment, and indeed women. Jane Chapel-Hyam is doing terrifically this season, particularly with this horse, Saffron Beach. Remember, three runners at Royal Ascot, two winners in a second. I want to speak to Jane about how well she's getting on. We'll be speaking to Wilf Walsh, the chairman of the Racecourse Association. Politics is really to the fore in British racing at the moment. And finally, what about Little Big Bear? He's a great, huge bear, isn't he? Judging by what we saw in the Phoenix Stakes yesterday, currently a top price, five to one, for the 2,000 guineas next year. Do you think he will stay? This is Racing Debate. Morning, everyone. Here I am. It's been a great weekend, I think, on the racetrack in the world of horse racing. That Phoenix Stakes was impossible not to believe that we'd seen something very special there, even with Bradsell uh, messing up the start of the race. In America, life is good. Just so hard to pass on the front end in the Whitney and a big win for Charlie Appleby stateside as well. And, of course, in the UK, we had the Shergar Cup. And guess who dominated that? It's this man, William Haggis. There hasn't been many weekends William hasn't dominated. Look at this. 107 wins, 386 runners, trading at 28%. If you're sending out nearly 400 runners and you're almost one in three, it's extraordinary. And every year since 2014, the Haggis stable has broken through the £2 million barrier. Very different than when he started off in 1988 with 67,000 178. But they don't want to listen to me anymore, William. They want to listen to you. Good morning to you. Well done yesterday. Good morning, Matt. I hope you've had a bath since you had that shower from Spencer. Yeah, it's the bloke who chucked the beer that I'm really concerned about. I'm, I'm wondering which one of my bosses was standing in the side there. You, you can just imagine there would be quite a few who want to do that. To be fair, the beer throw wasn't the most accurate of all time, but it was a good effort. Got to, got to be saying it wasn't you, was it? No. Um, no, Wouldn't look, it was be. good fun, the Shogar Cup, good atmosphere, and um, the jockeys really got behind it. Emma Jane Wilson, absolute star. I think she's so, so good. But that's not what we're really here to talk about, William. But we sort of are, because most stables go through a lull. And I know you're going to touch your head and touch wood right here, but it's hard to believe there's been so far in 2022 a moment where your stable hasn't been flying. Is that how you feel? Uh, not really, because we're always <clears throat> looking for problems and uh, looking for issues. But uh, the, the, the horses have run really well. They've looked well uh, since the spring and, uh, and they've trained well and they've run well. So uh, we, we've, But we've got some very nice horses. And every trainer will tell you, if you haven't got very nice horses in that particular period, then it's always going to be a battle. Healthy-wise, though, I can't imagine there'll be many mornings. I mean, I'm, I'm, there probably always is one who's got a snotty nose or something, but not many mornings where you've walked around the yard with your sort of head in your hands thinking, crikey, what are we going to do this week? 
Oh, no, but we're quite keen on, on checking disease. That's our big thing, really. We think with a stable of our size now, two things can floor us. One is complacency from Maureen and I, which at the moment isn't going to happen. And uh, two is disease. So we're fairly paranoid about disease. And at the moment, we've got quite a few two-year-olds scoping dirty. But, you know, if we've got 52-year-olds scoping dirty, we haven't. But if we had, we'd have 50 that weren't. So we just need to check and make sure that they're clean and healthy when they run. And that's the whole point of it, really, for us. Without giving all the big secrets away, what, what's the process in, in doing that then? What, what are the extra things that you do? We don't do anything that no other trainer does. We did buy a scope. Uh, we've actually got two, an endoscope for our own personal use. I don't know how to use it. None of us do. We need a vet for that. But it means that basically every horse that costs an exercise, we scope, essentially, uh, which might be over the top. But you never know what you might find. And uh, I'm sure it's saved us a lot of disappointing runs in, over the years. So things are going well. When you have a horse like Bayadim in the stable, how easy... And, and Chris Waller was, was talking about this the other day with Winks. <laughs> you know, you almost end up thinking you've got one horse when you've got hundreds. Um, how easy is it to concentrate on a stable when you've got such an important animal in there. I know you'll say they're all important, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, of course, it uh, brings its own pressure or whatever you call it, but we try and concentrate on all of them. And it's only people like you who, who keep bringing up and talking about him and people, we've got film crews coming next week to, to film him, which is just painful for us, but uh, we appreciate that it has to be done. And, uh, you know, people want to know about him. But, um, you know, he's he's a very straightforward horse. Otherwise, he worked this morning, uh, just a routine bit of work, and he worked fine. He's, he's very generous at home. He's generous on the track. He's, he's just a very straightforward horse. And providing that he stays fit and healthy between now and next Wednesday, um, you'll see him at York all being well. I, I, I know you're being slightly facetious about you know, the fact that it's a pain, people like us talking about it, because you're equally the first person to say, look, if, if I wasn't getting a phone call, I know I'm not having a good season. Of course, <laughs> absolutely. But we want it both ways. We're like farmers. Mm. Um, it's never right for a farmer and it's never right for a racehorse trainer. They want the glory, but they don't want to put the hours in uh, to get it. So, uh, you know, we... we... <sighs> We, we enjoy having him and it's great. And we have, as I say, lots of nice horses. I think um, at the last count, we had something like 16 horses rated over 110 officially. So that's quite a lot of horses. So a lot, a lot to worry about, not just Baid. Let's get Baid out of the way because lots of things I want to talk to you about, but in some ways you just, one can't ignore him. Um, how much is being unbeaten? a strain and, and changes the whole thing. If he'd been second first time out and then just won everything, would life be a lot easier? I don't know, really. I suppose it would have been, um, but he wasn't. So uh, that's the end of it. He, you know, the fact he's unbeaten, obviously, is quite a big thing. And, you know, you feel it. I felt it a bit this year, personally. 
And I'm sure Shaker Hissa feels it. And, and none of us want to get beat now, especially as we're in the home straight with his career, uh, with just two races left. So, um, but, you know, if he gets beaten, he, he gets beaten. It'll be because he doesn't run fast enough. So, uh, you know, that's that's the way it is. That's what horse racing is about. Horse racing is competition. And, um, you know, that's the way it is. The stress, though, is interesting from our point of view because... I know you, you're one of these people who has quite a happy face, so you often look as though you're smiling, even when you're under pressure, but, but as we can see right now. Um, but, but I've never heard you before. I mean, last, every time he runs, basically, afterwards, you come up with, I felt quite nervous today. I mean, I've kind of accept now that every time he runs, you're nervous. I mean, is he a sleepless night the evening before he runs? No. It, it, the sleepless nights will be next year when we're trying to look for another like him um, and can't find him. So, no, I, we don't uh, have sleepless nights. We're so tired when we get to bed that uh, sleeping has never been an issue. So what's the nervousness? And, what What is that inside you when that hits you, either the night before or on the day? What is it? Well, I just, I just feel that, you know, we want to get it right for him. He deserves... Uh, all the accolades he gets. And, and we, you know, there's a big team at Shadwell headed by Cheka Hissa um, and a big family she has. And then our Shadwell team, both who run the stud. Um, there are a lot of people at the farm who, who you know, adore this horse and, uh, and they live for this horse. So, you know, there is a little bit of pressure from that point of view. But, you know, we, we all know it's horse racing. Anything can happen. And, you know, I think Jim is pretty calm. I mean, nobody seems to ask him how he feels beforehand. But, you know, I think he's pretty relaxed. He's always very chilled when I go and get the saddle. And, you know, it, and our team uh, with the horse, I mean, our travelling man, Suraj, he, he, he's the most laid-back guy I know, and he's fantastic with the horses. Ricky gets a bit tense because, you know, he's ridden him every day for most of his career. And he leads him up and he, you know, he knows him backwards. So he gets a bit tense, but we try not to get that, let that get to the horse. Yeah, during that conversation, it sounded as if he just went past the window, to be honest. He, <laughs> off he went. I mean, Jim's not going to get nervous, is he? Because he's been used to eight, eight sort of flights of hurdles and fences in his time. I just think by a, 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 a piece of cake. So, look, um, let's get down to the nitty gritty with this horse now then. Because you know he's, he's got a huge rating, but there are still people that feel there might be more to come, and that might be to come over a longer distance. That, in fact, he's always been crying out for a longer distance to really shoot away from the field. What do you feel about that? Well, I don't know. It'll be really interesting. Um, we, we have always thought he would be better at further. I'm not saying better now. But we always think he would handle further. And I think we need to try it. And that's the whole point. Obviously, it's a very prestigious, valuable race. It's a lovely track. It's a no-excuses track. And, you know, if he doesn't stay, he doesn't stay. But I don't think it's right for us to end his career only staying at a mile. And I think we'd like to show that he, he, should, he should stay. He's bred to stay. Mostly the stars stay nicely. Um, I know he's out of a King Mambo mare, but he, he, his brother stays a mile and five easily, and he's a good horse, won the Coronation Cup 
why shouldn't we try it anyway? Let's try it. I mean, I, I had an email yesterday from someone I respect very much saying I'm a nut, nutter and keep him at a mile and he won't be beaten. Uh, and I, whilst I respect his opinion, I, I think we have to we have to try. And if he doesn't stay, he doesn't stay. But I think he's got a smart turn of foot. And I think if Jim can wait a bit and hold on to him and use that turn of foot at the end, I think he'd be hard to beat. That email, though, comes back to what we were talking about earlier, doesn't it, of being unbeaten. You wouldn't be getting that email if he had been defeated once upon a time. Um, you're right, of course, everyone knows on the breeding side of it, it's a no-brainer. The, the people who say he, he doesn't stay, and I'm one of those who are... I'm convinced he's going to be even better, which is sounding stupid when he's the best already, but I think he'll be even better. But they'll say the fractions he did at Goodwood over the last three furlongs, and I'm sure this is what this email said yesterday, um, the fractions he did is almost of a sprinter. But then don't we get back to Frankel, who would have won the July Cup, you know, the, the QE2, the Jubmon International, or might have even won the Art, that eventually you get to a level where your horse just runs faster than all the others. Absolutely. He can only uh, uh, defeat the opposition he's against. So, you know, we'll see, Matt, what happens. And, and the comparisons with Frankel, I mean, they're ridiculous, really, because they're different horses. Frankel was unbelievable. And I don't think anyone uh, uh, should think that there will be a horse to touch Frankel. Although, for me, and if you think about it, he was very different, but See the Stars, who came a year before him, was probably uh, a better all-round horse. I mean, he won the Guineas, he won the Derby, he won the Arc, he won a mile and a quarter, he won every race put in front of him, and he retired at the end of his three-year-old career. And if he'd gone on and run as a four-year-old, apart from the three-year-old only races, he'd have won them all again, for sure. He was a brilliant horse, but, but quite conservative in the way he won. So... You know, how you judge these horse, Frankel was an exuberant horse at home and an exuberant horse on the race course. And that performance at Ascot in the Queen Anne was unbelievable, in my opinion, the most breathtaking and the one in the Judmonters four. But he only just scrambled home in the uh, St. James's Palace from Zoffany. So, you know, that wasn't a Rolls-Royce day for him. Um, so... But I, I wish we could stop comparing him with Frankel. I don't know what this sort of uh, thing is with this. But, you know, just take Baid for what he is. He's a very smart horse trained by a very lucky stable. Yeah. I mean, you know we're going to carry on, though. Yes, but can you stop? You said you'd only give me five minutes, Baid, and then move on. So let's move on. We've had 15 already. But just to repeat, you know we're, we're, we're going to carry on. Because don't tell me... Bringing up, of course, your, your missus. Don't tell me you haven't sat down with her over the years and discussed Leicester's great derbies, which was the best, etc. Are you really telling me you've never done that? Not with Maureen, no. I did it with her father. Well, you've bit. done it then, so you've just... I completely... remember one, one very famous evening when uh, Leicester and Sir Michael Stout were sitting in our sitting room and, and they were having a disagreement and Leicester said that Sir Ivor was the best... Derby winner he ever rode, and and Michael uh, said that Nijinsky was, and uh, neither of them were conceding. I don't know quite uh, how it ended up, but I left the room with Maureen and uh, let them get on with it. <laughs> Memories of the great Leicester. Okay, let's let's uh, final question on Baid. Is there anything that suggests he's getting better at home, or is he such a high level that you just keep him ticking over and then you turn up and then you win? 
Well, uh, yeah, he's not. It's very easy to overtrain a horse, <clears throat> and it's it's quite brave to undertrain them. So we're trying to not kill him, but obviously we've got to keep a level of fitness and a level of sharpness, which is very important as well. And doesn't want to be too fresh. So he had, as I say, he had a bit of work this morning. That will do him good. He'll do another bit before Wednesday week, and that'll be it. OK, I want to rattle through two other horses and then I've got about three or four minutes just on politics. Um, first horse, my Oberon, good the other day. But I was speaking to Tom Marquand at Brighton. He said the horse had had a tiny little issue but might run again quite soon. What's the latest on my Oberon? Well, he, he will either go for the Sovereign Stakes on Thursday or the Strensel Stakes at York. He's in great form and uh, is better this year than he's been probably ever. And the latest on Majloom? Maljum. Yeah, um, Maljum, yeah. The L and the J are the wrong way around. Sorry. Uh, Maljum is running next Sunday in the Jacques Lamar. Yeah, and you kindly didn't pick me up just then, but obviously when I said my Oberon, I meant my uh, Prospero. Uh, so Prospero had a tiny little setback, but he's due to go where? No, he didn't have a tiny setback, actually. He fell after the line. Well, that's a in setback. The Eugene, and it was a little bit more, more than tiny. Um we are trying to get him ready for the Guillaume Donano, um, which is a week tomorrow, uh, a very valuable race that Dubaiana won last year, Group 2 race in Deauville, but I don't think he's going to make it, sadly. So uh, he's too nice a horse to risk, and I want to have him at his best when he runs next time. So I would think, and I haven't spoken to Mrs Choi yet, but I suspect he'll be waiting. OK, hopefully he stays in, tra he'll stay in training, won't he? I very much hope so, yeah. yeah. Now, as far as politics is concerned, I had a whole list of, of questions and then Liam Hall just emailed in. And to be honest, his question is good enough for us. Um, does William Haggis believe in the future of the sport with dwindling runners and lesser prize pools? Do you believe in the future of the sport at the moment? How, how long have I got, Matt? Well, I mean, I'd give you the whole show, but let's say a maximum of I, three I, minutes. I believe, I believe firmly in the sport of horse racing. At the moment, we have an issue, uh, in my opinion, that, that the racecourses are paid um, for fixtures. Um, every fixture they put on, they get paid. So naturally, running a good business, you'd want as many as you possibly can. Uh, at the moment, there appears to be a dwindling pool of horses in training. And subsequently, if you have more races and less horses, you're going to have smaller fields. We, as a body, the Trainers' Federation, uh, uh, were very much in favour of cancelling 300 races. I would cancel 300 fixtures and make uh, the pool of races smaller. And if the same amount of money is available, then obviously that would go up. Um, we have an issue at the moment uh, with too much racing. There's no doubt, and it's... It's only the trainers that are saying this, and the trainers are the ones that benefit from too much racing. And, you know, Bill Gradley was interviewed the other day on the television and said, owners like three-horse races. Yes, they do. But we can't keep going on with three-horse races. It, it's unsatisfactory for the viewer, the punter, the bookmaker, and the industry. So we have to do something about it, and we're trying. It was noticeable yesterday when I spoke to Nick Smith at Ascot that he emphasised the word an authority rather than emphasising the word BHA, which strongly suggested 
he felt there was a new organisation that had to be put together. Um, do you have faith that the BHA, as it is at the moment, can change what needs to be changed? Yeah, I, I, I feel very sorry for the BHA. The BHA come under the cosh for everything and they get blamed for absolutely everything. But the long and short of it is they don't have the funding that the racecourses have. The racecourses get the media rights money uh, direct to them to do with them as they please. And it's up to the, in the rest of the industry to put pressure on them to put as much in as possible. The BHA, if they had the money and they had the control and they had the power, money means power. And if, if they had that, then you'd see a much stronger body. But at the moment, that's very difficult for them. And they're working with lots of people to try and do the best thing. The BHA, believe it or not, actually want racing to be successful. Some people can't see that. William, um, I think as everyone's watching this could see, we, we could actually talk all day and we could have done an hour on Baid, which would have been nice. But, um, <laughs> but I'm going to let you go and get on. I know you've got another busy day, lots of runners today. And um, let's just hope this terrific season continues for you. And, and good luck at York. Um, I know that will be a, a really special race for you because there is no one in the world who would want to win a big race at York more than you. Thank you very much, Matt. And spend some time talking to Jane Chappellheim. She's an absolute star. She hasn't got a very big stable. She's an exceptionally good trainer and make the most of her. I, I really am looking forward to it. I deliberately got her on because so I, I. I felt she needs to be publicised more because she slightly Absolutely. just she just slightly keeps away from the limelight, Jane, and I want to propel her into my screen like I have you, William. Good man. Thanks very much for your time. See you, Matt. William Agus, a stable on absolute fire with the world's number one horse in the yard. Mind you, would Baye beat Saffron Beach? Um, we, of course he would, but uh, not. it wouldn't be that much of a, a walkover, I suspect. We're going to get Jane on straight after this. This is Racing Debate on Sky Sports Racing. Welcome. Usually when it's sunny outside, we fear on racing debate that everyone will be outside enjoying the sunshine. But because it's always sunny now, hopefully you're inside keeping out the sunshine and enjoy racing debate. Just before the break, William Haggis insisted that I got Jane Chappell-Hyam on and give her as much time as, as I can. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. There she is. Uh, Janie, good morning to you. Welcome to the show. Morning. How are you? I'm very good. Look, Haggis was very complimentary. What? What would? How do you find Haggis as a as a as a bloke? No, no, he's he's the best. He's a good man. Is he? Yep. He's quite hard to beat. That's the only annoying thing about him. Mm, he's very hard to beat. Yes, so, agree. Tell me about Jane Chapelham, Jane, because you're you're someone who doesn't, I think, search for the limelight. And yet, underneath the surface, your stable is clearly getting more quality in year by year. And you tick over quite, quite nicely. And obviously, Saffron Beach is being an absolute legend. And, and you've got two or three others in there at the moment of the older horses. And goodness only knows what two-year-olds you're about and to unleash. Um, tell us about, if you were writing a mission statement for Jane Chapelheim, what would it say at the moment? Mm, just cruising along nicely. Hopefully we don't make any bumps on the road. But is that, is, I mean, I know you're competitive. Is Cruising along isn't quite what you're up to, isn't it? I mean, you want to be 
running in the best races, beating the best. Yeah, but you've got to be realistic with the horses that you've got in your stable, what are capable and what aren't. But as you know, every now and again, I go off pace, but the owners enjoy a little bit of international racing here and there. I mean, I love it when you go off piste and you've done that with Saffron Beach as a, as a three-year-old when you ran a, in the Oaks and it was brilliant, even though it didn't quite come off. It was a brilliant thing to do. And, and your travels abroad are relatively legendary for a trainer who doesn't have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of horses in their yard. You, you will go anywhere where you can. Is, is, is that just because you are a globetrotter yourself, really? Um, I don't know. I just think there's opportunities somewhere to go overseas and some owners um, like that chance to see a city with the racing and then stay on for a holiday and I just think it's a good way of combining both. Which part of training do you enjoy the most? Is it finding a horse? Is it is it seeing it prove? Is it watching it from, you know, being a yearling? Which part of what you do do you enjoy most? Mm. I like the gallops in the morning and, and spotting something. That's that's the thrill for me. And then obviously turning that into going to the races. So, and, and can you give us any idea of what, what it feels like when you think you've got something fairly useful in the yard and then you, you gallop it? I don't know whether you gallop it with something else, but just your eye tells you, oh, yes, this is, this is the one we've been waiting for. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like that. And then you um, like to see how they come out of the gallop and then go through and find a race for them. So, yeah, so I enjoy plotting. that part of Plotting with something good. Plotting, yes, plotting. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to play poker or chess with you, Jane. I think, I think you'd be very wily, I, I suspect. Um, talk no, us I'm through... Not, I'm, I'm not good at chess, but I like backgammon. Oh, right. One day we're going to have a game of backgammon because it was one of the games that my old man taught me when I was young and I do like a good game of backgammon. So that, that is on. If I ever come to you for a feature for at the races, we're having a game of backgammon as part of it. Um, <laughs> winner takes all. Um, that's right, Saffron Beach. I yes. mean, she's just been a legend, hasn't she? A real legend because she's tough, she's consistent and most of all, she's quality. Yep, she's all of those three. And I'm just fortunate enough to have her in my stables. And um, she just keeps producing at every run. She just improves and very lucky to have her. And she seems really uncomplicated. The fact she can, she can go to the front, but she doesn't have to lead makes it quite easy in races. Yeah, this year and last year, yeah, she likes to dominate. And she probably, when a horse comes upside her, she just finds that little bit extra because... She is competitive and she is tough. And, you know, you know, she has more character of a cult than a filly. She's just hardened and, and I don't know, th th those type of fillies just can take it, can't they? On breeding by New Bay out of a Ravens pass mare, there should be no problem with her getting further than a mile. Uh, and as I said, obviously, back in the day, you ran her in the Oaks over, over a mile and a half. You're now heading towards the Breeders' Cup. I, I love the fact that you you're already are targeting the Breeders' Cup because that meeting is something truly special. But you will have to go over slightly further. Yeah, but the way she hit the line at Ascot and um, in Deauville the other day, she's, she's powering for the mile. So I think on the American turning track, the nine and a half furlongs, 
I can't see it being a problem. And everyone that has ridden her in a race or um, sat on her at home, Abby, they all feel that she can get the extra bit. So we're not too concerned about that. It'll just be more the travelling over. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think she's going to relish it. I think she could be even, even better, that that could be just about her perfect distance. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see and everyone's looking forward to it. And so we've just got to keep her healthy. Like William said, it's hard to keep them going all year, all season. But um, she's enjoying it when she's having a good break between races. Would you pray that Godolphin don't have anything in that race so you can get Buick? Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Godolphin probably will have something in the race. Um I didn't look at the results last night. They had a filly running, didn't they? No, didn't. no good. They they did win a race, but not. I don't think the filly won. I think I might be wrong about that. I'm absolutely joked, but um, I th yeah. but they they will have other options. That's the only other thing. Even if it did or it didn't. Okie doke. Well, I'm sure Adam or Holly will throw their tack back on her. That won't be a problem. Yeah. Wow. Just think of the Doyler winning a Breeders' Cup race for Jane Jappelheim at Keeneland. That would be something truly special. Yeah, well, we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? We've got uh, maybe one or two runs before we get there. Yeah. And Royal Ascot, I want to talk to you about Royal Ascot. I don't believe there's ever been a trainer who's had three runners at Royal Ascot, two of them are one, and one has just been touched off. How, how special was that for your yard? Well, the one that got touched off, I thought, was the good, the good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose being drawn on the far side um, and um, the Hills horse sort of more central, we saw it, but pro probably the weight found us out. And um, I probably shouldn't have run him in the Paradise, the listed race, because um, I went up eight pounds for that. But um, I had to see, he's a tricky horse, and I just had to see if he'd handle the track, which he surely does. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's been terrific. Look, you're, I think you've, you're, you're going to be very likely to beat your, your best record for prize money in the UK this season by the end of it. You're about 60 grand off your, your best total. I'm led to believe that you've got some monstrous two-year-olds to unleash. <laughs> don't know about monstrous. That's a good word, but... No, they're training well. Um, got a couple of nice fillies and a couple of nice colts to still hit the track. So looking forward to getting them out. But I'm not giving you any names. Well, <laughs> hold on. I've got to pick you up on that. On a certain Nit Luck podcast, um, you mentioned that one was working on Saturday and that you'd give him the name on Monday. Are you really... Come on, you're not going to hold that back yeah, for Lucky, are you? That's Nick and... Yeah, but he's, he's, he's swanning around in Saratoga. He's, he's, not, he's not got you on our show publicising you, Jane. He's not fussed. He's just thinking about his own, <laughs> own well-being. I think he would forget to call me on Monday, if we're honest. Well, he won't now. Uh, we'll <laughs> That's see. one thing for sure. You will be getting a call tomorrow. Um, have, you, have you got one name you can give us, Jane? Or even a pedigree or just a sire that we could look out for, for those of us who are going to keep a very close eye? No. <laughs> you have to wait. You see, a lot of our viewers will now dislike you, but actually it's made me like you more because at the end of the day, why should you? This is I your... Know, they're, my, they're, they're my owner's baby, so yeah. I don't think my owner sat at home 
would like me blasting out there. Oh, I, want, name, I, I so. want you to blast out, Jane. <laughs> anyway, no. look, I'm, I'm taking hope from the fact that one you thought at Royal Ascot got beat, so maybe it wouldn't be helping us at all. Well, there you go. <laughs> Jane, you um, go. it's a real pleasure to speak to you. I know a, a lot of people write all the time, you know, nice things about you, uh, quite rightly, and, and you're stable. I think we really enjoy seeing you do well, so let's hope that you go to the Breeders' Cup and and smash up the Americans. That would be fantastic. No, it'd be better than fantastic. Wouldn't yeah. you love to be there and win one of their races? They're so competitive and so hard. So um, very much looking forward to it. Yeah. And remember, when you go there, Haggis isn't even sending Baid anywhere. Um, Jane, thanks for, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being on. Appreciate it. OK, thank you very much. Have Not a good day. Take Lux call. Bye. Right. <laughs> If you stay on the phone tomorrow, I can just see it. Big podcast exclusive. Name of Jane Chapel Harms, two-year-old, that he wouldn't, she wouldn't give Chappers. Right, we're going to be back after this short break and we're going to speak racecourses with Will Walsh. Welcome back. You're watching a racing debate here on Sky Sports Racing. So far, we spoke to William Haggis. I hope you enjoyed him. Jane Chapelham. She is just an amazing lady. And we're about to speak to Wilf Walsh, the chairman of the Racecourse Association. There he is. And welcome to the show, Wilf. And I have to say, uh, I, I'm indebted to you in, in some way, although it will not affect how I speak to you on this particular programme, uh, because the TOF ran a terrific third in Racing League for me on Thursday at Doncaster, and you are part of the ownership of that horse. So thank you. It's uh, a bit difficult to come down from the high of owning a horse that you captained in, in the Racing League, but I'm, I'm doing my best. It's quite a rough. Thanks very much. You must have felt... Felt doomed when you realised who was behind it. But anyway, um, the top ran really well. And, and actually, he's ended up at Lingfield on Thursday. I might as well just ask you here, because I'm a captain, I do my job 24 uh, 7. What do you think about going again quickly? Well, he's entered, and uh, if he runs, uh, we'll be there. He might, he, might, he might go a bit further, he might do a mile ultimately. But uh, yeah, if he, if, he, if he goes to Lingfield, I'll, I will see you there, Skipper. Yeah. Well, we'll see how this conversation goes, and then I'll tell you whether we're going to get a run or not. Uh, but uh, and, and you part own that horse with Charlie Parker, of course. Who that, that's an interesting combination. Uh, well, it's a syndicate. It's the Rosehill Syndicate, and, and Charlie's uh, part of it. And you know, it might surprise you um, that, that I own a horse with the uh, the chair of the Thoroughbred Group. But uh, we're, we're a pretty civilized bunch. Well, yeah. I, I don't know if you heard William Haggis earlier, but I mean, I obviously had a whole thing, sort of row of questions to ask you, but he, in his conversation, posed the perfect question. To, well, he didn't pose a question, but said the perfect words to start off this conversation. Um, in William's words, he said, racecourses are paid for fixtures. Um, naturally, they want to put on as many as they can. I would cut not 300 races as has been the suggestion, but 300 fixtures straight away. Um, your response to that will be interesting. Well, we were opposed to the cutting of 250 fixtures in, in 2023 and, and supported by um, the BHA chief exec in that. And I'll deal with that first. I mean, you know, we are coming out of a year 
an interesting year post-COVID and the dynamics. Record prize money this year, 170 million, just for the avoidance of doubt. And also an unusual uh, number of lack of abandonments in terms of the weather. And clearly the weather now, we need a bit more dig in the ground as well. We are facing in 2023 and we're seeing race course attendances down uh, as a result of the cost of living crisis. That is the main reason um, that we're seeing attendances down. And we're going into a, a financial era, you know, potentially 13% inflation and four or five quarters of recession. So I think it's a brave person who fiddles with the sports income revenue streams faced with those headwinds. I think um, going into 2024, we can perhaps take a more strategic look at what we do in terms of prize money, in terms of field sizes, and in terms of shifting the balance of the race programme between classes of horses and looking at things more uh, like Sunday racing. So there's work we can do. If it's 300 fixtures, I want to see the numbers and the science behind that to ensure that we're not uh, creating financial Armageddon. You're in charge of race courses. I mean, I'll have to take bit by bit what, what you say. Just is, Shouldn't race courses, though, be doing something to try and get through the gates? I mean, supermarkets, for instance, offer you two for the price of one. So, I mean, why aren't our, all our race courses saying two for the price of one? Or if, if that's too much you know, bring two people in and get one free straight away. Is, aren't there things that we can just do instantly to try and get more people through the gates? Matt, it's happening every day. Hey, Doc, today, get, uh, members can bring a guest free. Uh, there are loads of offers. Ark have announced a raft of offers. Some of the Yorkshire... Oh, well, I've got a, I've got a, uh, I mean, I love the TOF and everything, but I've got to interrupt you on this straight away. I mean, just the fact that you started off with members. I mean... Yeah. Most members are probably doing quite, quite all right if they're members at a race course. We're talking about getting normal people who are just about struggling to survive at the moment, but perhaps might like a day out just to get out the house because they don't have enough money to do much. And they might like a day at their local race course, which isn't going to cost them an arm and a leg. Well, in a number of cases, it isn't. In a lot of cases, you've seen ARC have recently announced uh, deals to get people in. The Yorkshire race course have been doing it. And one fact, I mean, Paul Swain from the Racecourse Association um, wrote into the parish newsletter to prove that at, actually of our main festivals, we compare very favourably most of the other sports. And there's not many other sports we can bring out under 18s free on most occasions. So I would challenge the fact that racecourses aren't being creative. Um, and I'm not in charge of the racecourses. I mean, I run the trade body that looks after uh, the racecourse in the UK. So it's entirely up to the individual racecourse group or the racecourse themselves to decide on pricing policy. If you think our race course don't sit and look at the competition for people's uh, attention and try and price accordingly, that's not fair because they actually do. OK, I want to ask you something that, that was slightly lost in all the hullabaloo at Ascot yesterday, but I, but I had a conversation with Nick Smith, who is the director of racing there, and I, I've, got to be, I've got to say that since the Office of Fair Trading gave what I describe as the power to race courses, Nick didn't like to use the word power, but I can't really see any other word for it. Um, the Office of Faith Trading gave the power to racecourses and took it away from probably what was the BHB in those days. Um, he was basically saying yesterday that Ascot was a racecourse that was happy to give the power back to the BHA for the good of the sport. I, was, I have to say, I almost fell over. I was stunned. I never thought I'd hear a racecourse uh, executive effectively say that. Do you feel that's the general feeling of those in charge of racecourses at the moment, or was that just Ascot? Um, 
well, I mean, you'll have to ask individual race courses. I mean, we're not a communist collective. I mean, individual race courses will have their own views. And I've got a lot of time for Nick Smith uh, and his views. But if you look at it coldly, the BHA, uh, under the proposed structure we're talking about, have got control of most of what goes on in racing. Integrity, uh, equine welfare, government affairs, um, stewarding, everything to do with the, the regulation of the yeah, but they haven't got control of the one thing they need control of, which is the fixtures. Well, the commercial element of the sport, uh, I believe, should be between the race courses and the participants, stable staff, jockeys, trainers, owners and breeders. Uh, now, the problem in the past has been, I mean, the politics of racing would put the Borgias to shame. We're working on a new governance structure uh, that will hopefully get rid of things like vetoes and go into simple majorities and force people into you know, making commercial decisions that are right for race courses and for participants. I think it's right for the BHA to look after the regulation of the sport. And I think it's right for the BHA to lead the strategy uh, that we're working on currently. But ultimately, commercially, that's for the race courses and the participants. OK, Wilf, what, what, we know there are small fields at the moment. You can blame the weather, whatever you want to do, but there are small fields. We know the programme rather than the fixtures is a big issue. Um, what, in your opinion, needs to happen now to help that situation? Because if we believe what we hear from BHA at the moment, nothing's going to change next year. Now, there's some of us who feel people should be locked in rooms right now trying to change something for next year, but that's clearly not going to happen. So what could happen now to improve the current status quo? Well, there are, there are short-term and medium-term issues. I mean, short-term, there are... I mean, the fixture list will be out for 2023, and that's done. There may be some changes to the race programme in 2023. We can sit and, and, and discuss that. I think the challenge has been we've got a really complex structure uh, for the sport. It's like wading through treacle, trying to get things done. And when I landed nine and a half months ago, uh, nobody was more surprised than me that there wasn't a strategy for the whole of the sport, that everybody in the sport, race courses, participants, bookmakers, the levy board, the racing foundation, broadcasters like yourself could hang their hat on and say, yeah, that's that's what we want to do and here's the plan to do it. And we're working through that currently. But there are potential changes to the race programme itself in 2023. We've just got to get the grown-ups to sit in a room and bang their heads together and make sure we affect some change. Good luck with that. Uh, uh, Wilf, I know you had to move things around to um, come on the show today, so I really appreciate you doing that. Have you convinced me to give the TOF a run? You'll just have to wait. You and... said it like it's your decision. Well, I mean, it is my know, decision. We, we, no, it's not your decision. It, trust no. me, it is. I mean, oh, it's your decision right, not then. to I run. I apologise. It's your it's, decision it's, not to run, but it's my decision whether you run. It's our decision not to run. OK, well, I, I shall defer to your outstanding leadership uh, after <laughs> Doncaster. And please let us have a run if we fancy it. That's all I can say. <laughs> on that basis, everyone now knows if the Toff runs at Lincoln on Thursday, it is fancied by this man. Uh, Will, thanks for coming on. Anytime. Will Walsh is the chairman of the Racecourse Association. We're going to go for a short break here on Racing Debate. I'll be back. Welcome back. You're watching a racing debate. We're going to talk about Little Big Bear in a moment, but I want to just turn the clock back to a great, great American race. The Whitney has been won by some of the monsters of the USS, uh, US, 
rather than the USS, uh, US over the years. And Life is Good was back in action. Of course, the horse who disappointed in the Dubai World Cup but sent straight to the front by Irad Ortiz in the white colours. Just had to change legs here. You notice at the top of the stretch and just edges towards the inside but eventually beats Happy Saver, who's the horse on the round. That's Hot Rod Charlie in the white colours just in behind. Very disappointing was a horse who came into the race with great form, Olympiad. But Life is Good is one of the world's great horses. It's, it's very hard to compare him with Baid, but he will be on track now for the Breeders' Cup. And he is just worth showing you because Irad Ortiz didn't get the greatest rap when he came to Royal Ascot, but he is a terrific rider. And this Life is Good is just one of my favourite horses. Just goes straight to the front. And, you know, back in the day, a horse like Galileo ran in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Wouldn't it? I know he won't do it, but just think of... I mean, Life is Good won't run in the Breeders' Cup Classic probably either because it's a mile and a quarter. But just think of Baid against Life is Good over a mile stateside on the dirt. That is the kind of thing of dreams. Little Big Bear was just just absolutely magnificent in the Phoenix Stakes yesterday. Uh, Brad Sell missed the break and never looked happy. But this horse was just immense. This is John on Twitter saying Little Big Bear absolutely smashed them. I don't think Brad Sell has run his race with a few things going wrong, but the winner is an absolute speedball. Favourite for the 2,000 guineas as well now. The top price 5-1, to one, as I said, at the top of the show. And Ra Moore on top. He really was incredible. And it's fair to say that John is not the only person who thinks Little Big Bear was incredible. What about our very own Pat Cooney from Bet365? He got very jiggy, Patrick. He says, I think Little Big Bear is the best juvenile since Frankel. You can't beat him at five, six, six and a half, probably not seven, don't know about eight. This may be Aiden's best since Galileo. Well, we spoke about Galileo. Funny enough, it's easy to forget that that Galileo only ran once as a juvenile, just won a little race at Leopardstown before, of course, uh, winning the Derby and the Irish Derby and the King George as a three-year-old. Lots to look forward to, lots for racing to get to grips with, as we will next week on Racing Debate.